of you. It's good to see you, good to hear. So we're going to open up the Bible together. I lost the microphone for a minute. It was in the pram, of all places. So we're okay. We're okay. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, I believe one of the welcome team are maybe going to take a wee walk and uh, with the Bibles, hopefully. If not, uh, yes, Gilbert. Excellent, Gilbert. Thank you, Gilbert. Let's give him a little cheer. Thank you, Gilbert. So, that was a big cheer. If you don't have a Bible, put your hand up and we'll get a Bible to you. And if you don't have a Bible at home, take it as a gift from us. We are continuing a series called Power and Weakness uh, through 2 Corinthians. And we've reached 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And uh, we're trying to understand more the power and presence of Jesus. When the power of presence comes in our spirit, that uh, it's good to be weak. When we come in our weakness, when we stop trying to carry it all and just be, when we give over the power, when we change places, when we trade places, trade spaces, you know, we're often, I'm speaking for myself, I'm sure there, there might be a few people as well, we're often uh, good at wrestling the power back. I find that my weeks can be engaged in like an all-week ultimate tug of war with the Lord. You know, I'll take the power back. No, I'll give it back. No, I'll give it back. A heave-ho kind of through the week. And uh, we often hear that term power struggles, don't we? And when I think of it, I think of like The Apprentice or like businesses, power struggles in the workplace, in the office. And I'm sure we've experienced, some of us have experienced that as well. But often power struggles are our biggest barrier to the plans of God. So how do we have less of that in play? And I believe that a part of the solution is to do with the health of the heart. has a lot to do with it and how it is shaped uh, to live as God intends as not as the world lives. So that's what we're going to look at. Uh, Proverbs 4 speaks about guarding your heart for everything you do flows from it. And I I feel this talk this morning is an extension of last week's final point when we were talking about reminders. And Paul speaks in the end of chapter 6 about opening, open your heart. I have opened my heart to you, open your heart to me. And uh, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. He loves the church. He wants to see them thrive. But in longing for that, there's been moments where there's been challenge. He's had to challenge uh, the church and where where they've found themselves. And folk actually are a wee bit wary uh, in light of this. But Paul's encouraged by them on the whole in this chapter because there seems to be a response to this challenge. There seems to be something that is stirred in light of this and something that has changed in these people. So I want to continue in the theme of heart matters and uh, let's do that. So 2 Corinthians 7, we're going to start at verse 2. It'll be up on the screen nice and big as well. And I'm going to pray before we read. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you as a living word. And I pray it would, it would fill us. It would be nourishment to us, Lord, by your spirit. pray you would illuminate what needs to be illuminated in our situations and that you would speak. Would you speak, Lord? Would you come? Amen. So 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting at verse 2. 
This is Paul uh, writing to the church in Corinth. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have spoken to you with great frankness. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within, but God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me so that my joy was greater than ever. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong nor on account of the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this, we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we are especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him about you and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you are all obedient receiving him with fear and trembling. I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. Amen. So that's 2 Corinthians 7, 2 to 16. I want to look at three things that a healthy heart should be demonstrating uh, in light of this passage. The first thing is a healthy heart makes room for accountability. Healthy heart makes room for accountability. Does anybody play board games anymore? I'm going on a bit of a curveball here. Yes, yes, a few people play board games. We love a board game, but I struggle as I reflect on board games and I struggle back to, and I've got the exact date. Well, not the exact date, it's Christmas 2017, when my eldest boy, yes, I know it's a long time ago. This, this is a five-year struggle, folks, nearly. And my eldest was three at the time and I couldn't beat him at Hungry Hippos. <laughs> Genuinely couldn't beat him. Like, he was incredible, you know, and I didn't, I did at the beginning that classic thing of, I'll let you in, son, you know, build up your confidence, and I was like, I'm going to try a little bit now, and it, I couldn't beat him, whatever, and I just got a bit angry, and I need to, I need to deal with it. Uh, also, our newest game is a game, it's a little card game called Tackle Cat Goat Cheese Pizza, thanks to the Chamberlains who gave us this little card game, and it's amazing, you should check it out, really easy uh, to play, but our middle boy just shouts out cheese all the time. Every car, cheese, cheese, cheese. So uh, we play that not as much now because <laughs> that's not the game. 
Uh, it's too. I'm not going to go into the ins and outs of the game. But what I was thinking of when I was preparing this talk and uh, looking at this passage and praying and asking God for his guidance, I got the picture of the game Operation. Does anybody remember the game Operation? Classic game. The game of, you know, steady hand and poise, you know, as you have the little tweezers and you take the body parts out and you don't want it to buzz. Otherwise, it gives you the fright of your life. And I got this picture. And I'm also reminded alongside that, uh, Mary and I were watching a, a documentary show, a hospital documentary show. I don't know how we ended up watching it. And it had open heart surgery. And I'm like hiding behind the cushion, but I'm in awe of it. I'm like, this is incredible. And then I'm like, Mary, what are they doing now? And she's loving it, being a nurse. And she's telling me everything that's happening in this procedure. And I remember uh, being yeah, really squirmish behind the cushion. But I was in, I've, I've written squirmish awe. <laughs> squirmish awe. I was like, oh, oh. This is incredible. The amount of people who knew their place around this operating table, the care and expertise to put things right in the patient, to get the heart pumping again. It was incredible. And I just felt the Lord saying with this talk and this passage and this part of the letter that Paul's written, it reinforces the importance of accountability, that sometimes uh, it might feel similar to a real-life operation when we have accountability and that we are to be open and real, we're to be weak and vulnerable. And in those moments, the Lord always, always, always has a steady hand. And he always wants to redeem in those moments. And he always wants to put things right for health. He's the master physician. And he's always eager for a group of folk around us who know their place around our lives, who can see in and can be used by him. And that's why we need each other. That's why we need each other. As uh, I was thinking about my day-to-day, uh, at -day, this point, I was reflecting on accountability. I always end up with food on my face, and the food always seems to stay most of the day. There was one occasion where I was walking about with I think it was a cornflake or a breakfast, a, a bit of breakfast cereal in, on my face. Knew I had it for breakfast. Spent the whole day. I had about five meetings with different people. I was in, I was in certain shops buying things. I was in Tesco. And then I get to the dinner table around with the family. And Mary will say, oh, Thomas, what's that in your face? It's a bit of cornflake. And then I realize at quarter to six in the evening, that it's a bit of cornflake that I had at quarter to eight in the morning. And I think, why did nobody tell me about the cornflake? Why did nobody tell me about the cornflake? Paul, I'm going somewhere with this. Paul in verse 2, please again with the church in Corinth. He says, make room for us in your hearts. And commentators suggest that this plea is coming again because they've shut down a little bit after the challenge. Others say it's because... Uh, there's rumors circulating, false rumors about Paul's integrity and background and motives. But I think they're a wee bit irked after the words that Paul given them. Have you ever had that moment when there's been a, a direct kind of word into your life and you're like, oh, oh, yikes. And you know, we must have that openness and, die, and we must have that openness and that permission. We must give that permission to folk around us to speak in who want the best for us, that they can see the cornflake really early. Just go, hey, let me just tell you, 
You don't want to walk about with that for the rest of your day. That they see you troubled in your work when you're chatting about your work. It's just something isn't right. Hey, something isn't right when you're speaking about that. Let's, are you okay? When they see when they're chatting, you're in a group of friends and language maybe isn't great. Hey, I noticed you're you weren't speaking that great there of that person or some of your words is everything okay this isn't good you know it's brilliant to receive the good stuff and it's tough when a challenge comes and we have a choice in that moment to make room make room in our hearts and that's why it's important it's the right person as well who's not afraid to ask the tough questions and that we're real that we're open that we go on an intentional journey to be more Christ-like A healthy heart makes room for challenge as well as encouragement. So I want to ask us, who is that person? Have we got that person? If we desire to be more like Christ, we need hearts that are open to be spoken into, into the very depths. And it might be for a few of us that life is great and you see no major reason for accountability. You think, you know what, I'm kind of steady, I'm a steady ship. And it may be the case that there's not a a major struggle that you can pinpoint exactly. And I was thinking about that and I felt the Lord say there's always more and not to miss out what he has for you. And I had a picture of a a radio and it's not one of those DAB radios, the fancy ones. We're talking old school here. You know when you had to tune in the channel, when you have to tune in the channel and you have the dial and it just goes out of tune. You know those moments maybe you're on a journey and it just goes out of tune, you have to tweak it again because during the, when the radio channel's on, you hear the and today's and you just have to kind of tweak it again back in so it's crystal clear. If it's left on the journey without turning that dial in time, you'll lose the channel completely. I don't want that for my life. We need to make room for each other. Why not desire and pursue that crystal clear channel with the Lord to have people around us who go, wait a second, we just need to tune that back. That's not quite right. Why not allow someone to be turning that dial and drawing us closer to the more? And I have uh, some questions here that you might want to take away. In faith, I have printed 20. The 20 people today will go, I'm going to desire this and I'm I'm going to find someone. And the kind of questions, how is your relationship with God right now? And, you know, you might have somebody already and this might help just kind of shape these conversations. It's not that you sit down for your Starbucks and go, okay, question one, how is your relationship? But it kind of just shapes your chat. It shapes your, uh, your accountability. How is your relationship with God? What have you read in the Bible that in the past week? How do you find yourself resisting God these days? What are the specific tasks facing you that you consider incomplete? What have you read in the media this week? What have you done to play? If I was to ask your spouse about the state of your mind, state of spirit, state of energy level, what would the response be? If Satan were trying to invalidate you as a person or a servant of the Lord, how might he do it? What is the state of your sexual perspective? Tempted, dealing with fantasies. Are there any unresolved conflicts in your circle of relationships right now? What kind of time have you spent with anyone who's a non-Christian? Are you sleeping well? 
good questions. So I'm going to leave it over at the table and feel free to use that if you feel stirred uh, to do that. So a healthy heart makes room for accountability. The second uh, point I want to make this morning is a healthy heart understands godly sorrow. I want to very quickly look at uh, the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, very briefly in Luke chapter 19. So in Luke chapter 19, we have Jesus who's preaching and teaching to the masses and he reaches Jericho. He's walking through Jericho and he encounters Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus is eager to see him. He's climbed up a tree and he's having a short chat with him. You get it? A short chat. He's climbed up a tree. He's a small guy and uh, Jesus notices him and Jesus invites himself around. In verse 5, we read that. It's quite the thing, isn't it, to invite yourself around? You know, he doesn't, imagine if I'd done that today, George and Emma, I'm going to come around for lunch today. Brilliant. But we have got a barbecue, which I should mention, if you haven't signed up, you should come. Kevin and Heather are at the back, and they'd love to see you. There's lots of burgers and lots of hot dogs, and we need more people to eat them. So, Zacchaeus welcomed them gladly in verse 6. And we see throughout, throughout the Gospels that Jesus' love for uh, outcasts is evident. It's evident. Zacchaeus was not uh, well-liked. Zacchaeus was rich. He was successful in monetary sense, but he was despised as a tax collector. But Jesus loved him. Jesus spoke to him. Jesus went to his house, a house that had everything but no one to share it with. And something changed in this encounter. Actually, everything changed. The very presence, we read nothing of a challenge from Jesus in this passage of him saying, you are stealing, you are sinning. But Jesus' very presence, him being in the room, changed everything for Zacchaeus. It's almost like he, welcomed, he came in, he says, I'm coming round. Come on in. Boom. His presence changed everything. And we see after that, in verse 8, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. There's something about Jesus' presence in this moment that, uh, that, that, that just refines and stirs and transforms Zacchaeus' heart in that moment. After years of taking advantage of people, cheating people, being despised, there's a response. There is repentance. There's an awareness in his presence of what is wrong? What isn't right? And here's the important part. There's an eagerness following that to change the narrative and to go a different path. There's a response in light of that. There was something stirring in Zacchaeus. I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to go back to that. Now I've encountered your presence. He wanted to put it right. I want you to hold that little account. Hold that thought just now. And we're going to skip to Luke chapter 22. We see Peter denying Jesus. Jesus was seized, uh, captured, leading to his death. And a girl shouts, this guy was with Jesus. Now this is Peter, one of Jesus' disciples who'd done life with him. This guy was with him three times. Peter says, nope, don't know the guy. Don't know him. Realizing what he'd done, and you can read this in your own time, Luke 22, verse 62, he went out off the back of that and wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. But we see a restoration moment in John 21 where Jesus forgives him. Peter owns it, and he steps back into the presence of his friends in the presence of Jesus. 
He could have ran, but he faced up to it. Godly sorrow responds in the times of sin and falling short by feeling it, by feeling it, by not just brushing it off, going, oh, well, but to position our hearts in such a way that we would be shaped positively after the shortcoming. Not the same old us. That the Holy Spirit would bubble up a resolve and an eagerness to be more like Jesus. Not just uh, to dwell on the sin and despair and to focus on self and not to own it, but to draw closer to Jesus and move on in genuine repentance where we feel it and we move forward desiring change to protect our walks, to be resolute of not falling back in. And I think that's what Paul is encouraged by here. In verse 9, we read that he wasn't happy by the sorrow and calling out the tough stuff, but the response was repentance and fruit was produced. So they might not have liked it initially, and there's some weariness towards Paul, but there was a positive reaction to it. There was an earnestness, which is conviction. They felt it in their hearts. There was a readiness, an eagerness to respond in light of it. And Paul is encouraged by this. I wonder what we take from this this morning. Do we feel it in our hearts when we sin? Are our hearts hurting when we think of what God thinks of it? You know, as I dwell on it, I realize that we speak lots, rightly so, about God's grace. We're thankful for it. Such a gift. Incredible. Incredible. But the formation of our walks and understanding of sin sometimes mean we don't feel it as God feels it. And I've, I think that can hinder our journey of Christ-likeness. That we move on in our lives and there can be seasons of very little change. I pray that we would be a church that in the presence of God that we would understand more repentance and respond in light of it. That we would be a people that don't shy away from it, but that we see the fruit in light of it. That we would deal with our sin by stirring a disdain for it, a disgust for it, and receive the grace gifted to us, and then make steps to change in light with the Holy Spirit and each other. A Puritan once said, till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. I remember someone saying to me very early in my walk with Jesus, keep short accounts. Keep short accounts. And I think that's important to come to Jesus with what we're thankful for, but also what we're sorry for. Because an absence of that can build very quickly. And I think it's important that we remember. It just reminds us of the cross. It reminds us of Jesus' resurrection. It reminds us of him defeating sin. So let's be eager for godly sorrow to be a hallmark of how we do life when we muck up. Let's pick ourselves up and respond in challenge for fruit to be produced, for the enemy not to get his claws in and destroy further. And then the final point is a healthy heart is refreshing to others, just as we close. I was drawn to verse 13 of the passage as I was uh, preparing, and it says, in addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. Now, the Greek translation of refreshed is like a rest. It's like a rest. His spirit has been rested by, you know, there's something 
something happening when he was around these people. And it just highlighted to me the things that we've spoken about. To have folks speaking into our lives. To be in tune with the Spirit. To understand and live from a place of godly sorrow, not worldly sorrow. To understand more that we are to be salt and light and be eager and open to changing. All that stuff is healthy. That's healthy. And in light of that, when we operate out of that, it's refreshing to others. It's refreshing to others. I think the Corinthians' response to Paul's challenge shaped their hearts that impacted Titus's experience as well. When we desire these things, people are refreshed in our presence. We don't even need to try. God's spirit is more evident in and through us. I was thinking of Febreze. I always had a bottle of Febreze in my student flat when I was, uh, yeah, it was just essential when mom and dad were coming to visit. But Febreze, it's not a squirt of Febreze before people come around. That's me squirting Febreze just in case you want. <laughs> Covering the odors. As Cherry spoke about earlier in this series, it's the fragrance of Jesus. It's the fragrance of Jesus. And that's attractive to people. A healthy heart. How is yours this morning? And what do we need to respond to in light of these words from Paul? Why don't we stand together?